Anyway, guys, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine. His name is JT. Uh, he has he pastored for, for many, many years, and him and I are very dear friends. Uh, I like to call him a good friend and a bad friend all at the same time. And you're like, you know, well, what does that mean? Well, it, well uh, it means that he's a friend for you in the good, and he's a friend for you in the bad. Does that make sense? Wow, nice and so thank you, thank you. Nice <laughs> And I know for me, JT has been so, uh, so meaningful to me, even when life is always, you know, life was up and to the right and good, and then when life was hard, he was there as well. He's one of those kinds of friends that I know that I can count on and that sticks by you when you need it. You know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of people you need in your life. And, and we all need those people in our life. We need those in our relationships, but we also need those in our vocation and our ministries and our different things that we're doing. And so I'm just grateful to have him come and speak and, and bring the word to us this morning. So could you please welcome uh, Pastor JT. Well, friends, it is a joy to be here. As you notice, the two of us standing up here, one's in a sling and the other one is not. Go figure it out. <laughs> Just saying. Um, let me say this. If this is your first time here to Elevation Church, uh, very glad that you are here. Uh, if this is your church home, uh, especially glad that you're here. I want to say this, and uh, the cue cards will come up so I can read it because Daniel wrote it for me. Uh, but I want to say a few things about Daniel myself. Um, <laughs> Let me, are you going to get that up on the screen that Daniel wrote? No? Okay. Uh, in all seriousness, let me say this. Um, I'm in the wilderness, and I've been in the wilderness for a couple of years. And uh, uh, it's not what I wanted. Some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Life is going, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself upside down, twisted in the, the, the waters, so to speak. And uh, I'm in the wilderness. And I know that God is up to something big. I believe that. In fact, I'm standing here in confidence this morning before you because of his faithfulness. And I promise you that. But in the midst of this wilderness, let me tell you what happens. In the midst of the wilderness, voices that have always been around you disappear. Isn't that interesting? They, they disappear. And all of a sudden, you find yourself alone. But there's been one voice, there's one voice that hasn't disappeared from my life, and it's the voice of your pastor, Daniel Taylor. It has not disappeared. And he has not only in, stepped into my brokenness, but he is faithfully carrying my burden with me. And so if this is your first time to Elevation Church, this won't be your first time only. You will be back because this is a church that you want to be a part of. Because when you have a pastor who doesn't just preach but practices what he preaches, that is a pastor to follow. That is a church to belong to. And, and not only Pastor Daniel, but this church is faithful to the promises of God. And so I'm standing here today because my friend Daniel Taylor says, I'm with you, heart and soul, through this wilderness. I shouldn't be up here. Amen. Praise the Lord. I really should not be up here, but my friend says, no, you have a voice. You have a love for Jesus, and I want you to proclaim it. And so I'm here to proclaim it this morning. So you ready? Let's buckle up. Let's get going. Gosh, I spent four minutes on that right there. That's just dumb. Just dumb. So um, 
Here's what we're doing. We're doing this series called uh, Relationship Vampires. What do we do with the people around us who we love, but they suck the life out of us? And the topic that I have is how do you love a hypocrite? Oh, gosh. Really? So I have four different jobs right now. Uh, and one of those jobs is I work at a mill house in Pocahontas, Missouri, uh, a feed mill. And, and it, yeah, there is a Pocahontas. John Smith is not there. I haven't met him yet. But uh, I work at this feed mill. And I have this friend who, um, he's unique, and I love him, and, and I think the world of him. And I told him I was getting ready to preach, and he said, on what? And I said, on being a hypocrite. And he said, are you kidding me? How are you going to do that? And I said, I'm just going to talk about myself. Because, friends, I want to be honest with you this morning. I stand before you as one who struggles with being a hypocrite. And if I'm going to address the problem in my life, I have to identify the problem. And the reality for us in this room this morning is we need to start in the first proper place. And the first proper place is within ourselves. We are so quick to, to, to when, I, when I even said how to love a hypocrite, you probably had a few names came to mind. Shame on you. Shame on me. And we'll get to that. But the first place we need to start is within our own hearts. And so I have a couple of passages of scripture so that you know that I am not speaking fluff. I want to speak the truth to you. I love that your church family is doing this soap uh, journey. What a great great journey. If you are not a part of that, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you that you make a commitment starting today that you get involved in the soap. And if you have any questions, there will be some, uh, Pastor Daniel will help you take care of that. And here's what Pastor Daniel wants for you more than anything else. And, and I, I long for you to be in this place. And that is this, that you sink your teeth into the truth of who God is and what God says, because if you do not sink your teeth into the truth of who God is and what God says, then you will begin to believe the lies of this world, and you and I will become easily deceived if the truth is not a part of us. So as a church family, even if you're new to this, it's a great, easy way to get started in sinking your Teeth into the truth. Chew, I love Jeremiah 15. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible where Jeremiah talks about finding the word of God and chewing on it. Eating it. Making it a part of who he is. And I think it's critical that we do that. And so this morning I want to share some passages of scripture. And if we're going to learn to love a hypocrite who sucks the life out of us, let's start here first. And listen to Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, which probably nowadays we don't. Uh, I still love flipping through the pages. It's still one of my favorite things to do. Uh, if you have your smartphone, I do believe the scripture is going to point up, pop up here on the screen. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, is a great place for you and I to start when we start thinking about relationships, especially with those who are hypocrites, because we've got to start here within our own heart. Listen to these words. I want to give you context real quickly. Paul uh, used to persecute Christians. Like he was, like, he loved. This idea of stopping Christianity. In fact, he was on his, way, on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 to kill some Christians. And thankfully, he encountered a resurrected Jesus. His life was completely turned around. And then now Paul becomes one of the greatest voices of truth 
in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, this church in Galatia has heard the gospel message of Jesus. They've received it. They love it. They like it. And they're moving right along. And then a false teacher, which happens even in our days today, a false teacher comes along and says, no, 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 no. It can't be that easy. You've got to work towards it. You've got to, there's some guidelines, there's some check marks that you have to follow in order to be in a right relationship with God. And the church in Galatia that once embraced the gospel message is now believing the lies. They are being deceived just that quick. And so Paul, so deeply in love with this church in Galatia, writes a letter. And this is the letter that we have that's called Galatians. And he simply writes to them and says, how could you be so deceived? Embrace the gospel. The gospel that I declare to you is true because I used to practice the law. I used to check off things. I used to follow a guideline. And then Jesus showed up and told me, stop. Just embrace me. Walk with me. Do life with me. And so Paul is speaking from the heart. And so here's what he says in verse 10. Please uh, chew on this the rest of the week. I, I ask as a favor that you just chew on these wor words. In fact, I would ask that you would memorize them. And here's what he says in verse 10. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. As we love people who are hypocrites, I know it's not a fun scripture for me. We have to start here. And I want to ask you a dear question this morning. From my heart to your heart, I want to ask the first question on the table. Who are you living to please? That's it. And friends, honestly, we could spend the rest of our morning just squeezing the truth out of that. Because here's what happens. Please see if you can relate with me. I want to live for the glory of God. I am in love with Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. One thing that I can tell you that is true about my wilderness is the one person that has been constant and consistent and has reminded me of his faithfulness through the wilderness is Jesus Christ. He has never left me and he never will. And there is absolutely nothing that separates me from his love. Nothing. And I, I long to live for the glory of Jesus. But you know what I have a tendency to do, friends? When certain people are around, you know what I have a tendency to do? Grab the mask and slide it over my face and start being something that I'm really not. Friends, that's a definition of being a hypocrite. And you know what Paul says? Galatians 1.10. If I'm living for the pleasure of men, then I am not a servant of Christ Jesus. What? First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, he says the exact same thing. In fact, uh, what Paul says in 1 in, in Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, have become for me an anchor. And it simply is this. I'm, I'm getting to this place. I'm not there, but I'm moving in the right direction. And Paul simply says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think about myself. I only care about what Jesus thinks of me. And you know what Jesus says of me? Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Are you kidding me, Jesus? And he looks at each and every one of us and he says, I love you so much. I'll take care of it.
man, I still fall into that trap. What, what do people think of me? Are they pleased by me? Man, that is just asking for trouble. In fact, that may be one of the reasons why I'm in this wilderness. Who are you living for? That's where we got to start. Now, while we're trying to figure out that, which is a task in itself, we still have to do life with other people. You can't just isolate yourself and spend the rest of your life just trying to figure that out. God doesn't give us that luxury because I've tried many times. He doesn't give us that luxury. We still have to do life with community. And when we do life with community, guess what we're dealing with? We're dealing with messed up people. I'm messed up. You're messed up. God called us to do life together. How are we going to do this? Well, again, first, I got to start here. But I still have to love my neighbor as myself. And so what do I do? Well, two things that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart getting ready for this message. And, and I want to say this to you, friends. I'm more convicted by this sermon than I ever have any other sermon in my whole entire life. And that's only five sermons. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is the most convicting sermon ever for me. So... Social media is a gift, but it's also a curse, right? And today, social media gives everyone an opinion. Everyone has a voice. Uh, I'm always two seconds away from taking my phone and throwing it against the back wall and, and blowing it to pieces and going old school. But sadly, that's how we communicate. And in social media today, what I've realized and what I'm sick of, and I'm guilty of it, so we have this ability to attack each other and then walk away. And one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart, that we as a church family, starting here, but I'm also talking to you, but one of the things that we really have to get figured out and we have to get straightened out is this. We have to be done attacking people's behavior and start attacking the brokenness that's in them in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to say that one more time because this is really critical that we understand this. We have to stop attacking their behavior and start attacking the brokenness in the name and in the love and in the grace of Jesus Christ. It happens. We do it. it, it and it, it, is, it, it, it is just breaking apart our community. And I want to say this. This is, a, this is an audacious comment but it's the truth and here's the reality if you're not willing to lean in and to experience their brokenness then you have no right to say anything about their behavior you don't have that right and one of the things I love about your pastor is he hasn't attacked any of my behavior it hasn't even been in his mind but you know what he has done in the name of Jesus, he has attacked the brokenness within me. Do you understand being a hypocrite is just a reflection of what's really broken in the heart? And if we don't attack the brokenness, then it's just going to get ugly. You think it's ugly now. If we continue to attack behaviors, it's just going to get worse. It's like throwing more logs in the fire when we're trying to put the fire out. And if we want to get real... And we want Christ to be the king of our universe. we got to start leaning in and attacking the brokenness that 
resides in each one of us. But you know what? We have a fear of doing that. I have a fear of doing that. You know why? Because leaning into people's brokenness gets messy, doesn't it? And you know what? I don't feel like getting messy. Well, if you don't feel like getting messy, then stop following Jesus. Because walking with Jesus is going to take you to places that you don't want to go. And, 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 and he's asked us to be a reflection of who he is. And do you know what he did? He stepped in the ugliest mess possible, and that is your sins and my sins. He stepped into that to bring healing to that. He stepped into our brokenness. And he's called us. Praise the Lord. What a great news. And he's called us to step into other people's brokenness. So in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, great sermon. Read it. Uh, beautiful. Jesus is just glorious. And in Matthew 7, he says these words. How could you, I'm paraphrasing, and I think he's okay with that. How could you think about taking the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you haven't taken the speck out of your own eye? And he's talking about judging because we're very quick and very good at looking at our neighbor and saying, this is, this is, this is, this is, when in reality we haven't even dealt with stuff at our own house. And then I had this revelation, and, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm just telling you, as I uh, dug a little bit deeper with the Lord, I had this revelation I've never even thought about or heard about, honestly, in relation to Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. But as I was sitting there praying and, 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 and chewing on uh, on the words of Jesus, this thought came to my mind. So when I was in college, I had this family that always pushed me to work in a factory during the summer so that I would appreciate getting a college education. All right, in factory is hard work. I have a lot of respect for people who work in a factory. But this family said, if you want to appreciate and stay involved in college, then doing factory work is a good way to go. And so every summer for three years, I worked at a factory, 100 degrees. Some days I would work for 12 hours straight. Uh, it was brutal. And so my second year, and what's funny is I have never even thought about this until this past week, but uh, my second year, uh, what I would do is I would uh, drill holes in water pumps for tr uh, tractors, okay? And it was the, these uh, water pumps were made out of uh, uh, cast iron. And so I'd drill a lot of holes. There's sh metal shavings going everywhere. And so I, I worked all day long, and then at 4 o'clock, when it was time for me to be done, I would then take an air hose, and I would have to sp spray out and clean up the area of metal shavings so that the person who comes in at 4.30 can go right at it, right? And so this day I'm spraying, stuff is flying everywhere, and I didn't notice right, right away, but something flew into my eye because it didn't really phase me at that time. But later on in the day, I started, my eyes started getting irritating to me. It was irritated. And, and so next thing I know, I, I can't even open my eye. So I'm like, well, great, I've got something in my eye. I thought, well, good night's sleep. I'll, you know, the eye will take care of itself. The eye, by the way, is one of the most fascinating organs on the face of the earth. It can heal itself quickly. And so I just thought, man, I'm going to wake up in the morning and all is going to be well. I wake up the next morning, I can't even open my eye. So this stinks. You know what that means? ER. So I go to the ER, and uh, they don't give you pain medicine for getting something out of your eye. I don't know if you noticed that or not. So here I am in the ER. My top eyelid is pulled over the top of my head. My bottom eyelid is down by my chin. 
and they've got the biggest tool that you've ever seen reaching and digging into my eyelid to pull out a piece of metal shaving. No pain medicine. They don't even put a stupid stick in my mouth to bite on. I'm just sitting there clinging on for dear life. They get it out, and then for the next two days, I have to wear it like an eye patch over my eye. Arr. And so the Lord brings that to my mind, and I want to give you a new thought around Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And the Lord laid on my heart this reality. When I went through that process of getting that speck out of my eye, it was painful, discomfort, costly, never want to experience a moment like that again. And friends, I think when you and I go through the proper channels of getting the speck out of our own eye and we go through that experience of the pain and the suffering and the cost, then all of a sudden we have a new perspective as we look at our brother, our sister, who God has given us the opportunity to help get the speck out of their eye and instead of going at them with everything that we got, we now approach them with kindness, gentleness, love, grace. The list goes on. Why? Because we experience the pain ourselves. And I want to say this, friends. Thank you. What I want to say is this. If we do not take care of the speck in our own eye and we go after our brother or our sister and their speck, we're going to do more damage than good. And that's why Jesus said, take care of the speck yourself first. Then go to your brother or sister. Make sense? And so, Paul does exactly that. Paul does exactly that. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to bring it up on the screen. Verses 11 through 15, I want to sort of kind of bring the plane down. So, by the way, I want to say this. Some of us in this room, we have, being a hypocrite, like... We're, we're free of it. Now, I believe that's true. I believe there are people in this room who are free of being a hypocrite. And I, I'm so thankful for that. But please understand, every day is a battle. Every moment you wake up, it's a new day, it's a new battle. And so even though you have being a hypocrite handled, don't think that it won't pop its head up again. I, you know, Jesus is in the wilderness and, and, and Satan tempted Jesus three times in the wilderness. And in the last part of Matthew 4, 11, it says this, that, this, that the Satan left Jesus until an opportune time. Do you know what that means? There's going to come another moment when Satan's going to find Jesus in a very vulnerable place. And so you and I can think that we stand strong in a certain area. And all I'm simply saying is the next morning when you wake up, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new battle. And if you're not careful, you will become vulnerable. And the moment you become vulnerable, Satan will be right there. It happened to Jesus. Don't think it's not going to happen to us. And so Peter... Peter is a disciple of Jesus. Probably, ah, we don't want to categorize the disciples, but he's number one. In fact, Jesus said, um, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus was so touched and blown away by this that he said to Peter, well done. You didn't get this from flesh and blood. You got this from my Father, from the Spirit. And because of that, Peter I will find my church and I will build it on you, Peter. 
So we would sit here and go, well, Peter's pretty solid. Well, we get to Galatians chapter 2, guess what? Peter has a weak moment. And do you know what Peter's doing? Peter's hanging out with Gentiles. All right? You're like, okay, cool, that's great. What's that mean? Well, Gentiles are not the chosen people. The Jews are the chosen people. All, the whole Old Testament is all about God's chosen people, the Jews, to receive his message. And sadly, the Jews do not receive his message. But God, big heart, loves all mankind, decides, I want the gospel to be shared with all people. I want it to be shared with the Gentiles. And so uh, I'm sending a missionary into the Gentile nation to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter is actually one of the first ones who is ushered into the Gentile community to share the gospel in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to the house of Cornelius. So, yeah, Peter should be hanging out with the Gentiles. So here we are in chapter 2 of Galatians, and it says that Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, right? As he should be. They're eating, they're having a good old time. And then the Jews walk in, some of the Jews walk in. And do you know what Peter does immediately? Grabs his mask and pulls it down up over his face, leaves the Gentiles, and walks over to the Jews, and in essence is pointing fingers towards the Gentiles. You know what that's called? Being a hypocrite. So you tell me that it can't pop its head up at other times. Now, it needs to be addressed, does it not? Peter is a follower of Jesus Christ. It needs to be addressed. And guess who does the addressing? Paul. But look with me. This is very good. There's a couple of key words I'll point out, and then I'm going to wrap this baby up. All right? Verse 11. Look at what it says. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. First thing that you notice, what's the first thing you notice Paul does? He goes to Peter. He doesn't use social media. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, Silas, Silas, come here, come here. Look at that hypocrite. What's wrong? He should be ashamed of his will. Timothy, Timothy, come here. What, 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 what are you hearing about Peter? Yeah, me too. What a, I can't believe he's one of us. Does Paul do that? No. Nowhere in scripture does Paul do that. You know what Paul does out of love and out of kindness for his brother in Christ? He goes to him face to face. Face to face. And let's look at what it says, the rest of it. And when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentiles believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, the Jews, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. When you live for the pleasure of men, you put the mask on. Peter fell right into that trap, friends. Peter, Apostle Peter, the one Jesus said, I will build my church on you. So Peter slides the mask over his face. Verse 13, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas. Now I want to stop there. That's significant. Why is Barnabas significant? Because when Paul was converted to Christianity, everybody knew him as the killer of Christians. Do you think you're inviting Paul to your house as soon as he's converted to Christianity? I don't think so. Nobody wanted anything to do with Paul except for one person. His name 
Barnabas. Barnabas stepped out of the shadows, put his arm around Paul and said, you're one of us. Let's go. Let's go. And so Barnabas sticks his neck out for Paul. And because of that, Paul begins to grow in amazing ways in his relationship. And so now Peter's hypocrisy is starting to impact Paul's mentor because Barnabas was a mentor to Paul for a while. And then eventually Paul became a mentor to Barnabas. Is that sweet how that works? That's how it works in the church. And Paul's heart's broken. Not only is it affecting the Jews, it's affecting my friend Barnabas. We need to put a stop to this. And I believe with all my heart that Paul did two things extremely well. Number one, he went to him. It's not easy. Please understand it's not easy. But he went to him with two thoughts in mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You want to know how to make it happen? You follow those two commandments. I love the Lord, and because I love the Lord, I love his people. And I've got to make sure that in this moment I can protect his people, and so I've got to go to Peter out of love. Now, wrap this thing up. When Paul first became a Christian, we we're kind of deceived by the book of Acts because it just seems like that as soon as Paul is converted to Christianity, he goes straight into ministry. Now, it is true that Paul appeared in, uh, uh, he stayed in Damascus for a while, and then he went to Jerusalem just for a little bit. And then in Galatians 1, it tells us that then Paul was ushered into Arabia for three years. He was ushered into the desert for three years. And we know nothing. You know, Paul's, Paul's got that theory that says what happens in Arabia stays in Arabia. Because we have no clue what happened to Paul in Arabia. We don't. There's nowhere in Scripture that we know what happens. But you know what I, and I, I have no backing on this, so just understand this is my opinion. But you know what I think happened in Arabia? I think Paul and Jesus spent three years getting that speck out of his eye. I think they spent a lot of time getting that speck out of his eye. And I think it, I think it hurt Paul. And I think Paul began to realize it's costly. It's very costly. In fact, getting this back out of my eye is so costly, it cost my Savior Jesus some blood. So when he comes out of Arabia, Paul is on a mission to love people to Jesus, regardless of their behaviors. Because Paul understands, let's go after the brokenness. Let's go after the very thing that Jesus came after, and that's the brokenness. And so I think Paul went to Peter completely out of love. I love Peter so much that I'm willing to go face to face and share with him and help him. And do you know what I think Paul did? I think Paul asked Peter questions. He didn't go at him and like jab him in the eye. I think, I think Paul was brilliant at just saying, Peter, what were you thinking? What was on your mind? Getting Peter to the point of going, oh my gosh, I didn't even look at it that way. And everything was restored, and guess what continued to happen? They continued to be very successful in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know how to love hypocrites? First, start here. Who are you trying to please? Secondly, let's stop attacking each other's behavior. Because the behavior is just a reflection of what's broken underneath. Let's, in the name of Jesus, start attacking the brokenness, please. 
this church family, you've got people living around you who are so broken. And they don't need another Christian throwing their behaviors at them. They need followers of Christ who are going to lean in and get messy with them. And we do it, we do it out of love. And if we can't do it out of love, we don't do it at all, please. If we can't do it out of love, we don't do it at all. That's how we go about loving hypocrites. I want to share the gospel with you. My hero, Spurgeon, would punch me in the face if I didn't have this moment to share the gospel with you. And so with all eyes closed, we're going to go into our invitation time. All eyes closed, please. And the reason why I want you to have your eyes closed is I want you to use your imagination. As I share with you the gospel... And if this is your first time hearing the gospel, uh, lean in. But I I want you to imagine that you're in a courtroom scene. You're sitting and you're on defense. You are guilty. There is no way of getting yourself out of this. You are caught, you are guilty, and you deserve death. And you look across the courtroom and the person against you is Satan. And he has all these accusations against you. And what's crazy is that Satan's accusations are absolutely correct. He is not exaggerating. He is not lying. Every one of these accusations about you and I are are sadly true. And he brings them out into the courtroom. And he speaks openly. He speaks with confidence. And all we can do is sit there, friends just shaking our heads, tears running down our faces, saying we're guilty, guilty, guilty. And then we hear the whisper in, the, in, in our ears that says, for the wages of sin is death. As we're sitting in the courtroom, silent, no one speaking, there's some commotion in the background. In fact, it's startling. It kind of makes us all jump. We sort of kind of look over our left shoulder and standing in the back of the room is this magnificent person clothed in white, radiant. We've never seen anything like it before. And he walks up. He's not even allowed in the courtroom, but he, no one's going to stop him. And he comes in and he swings that gate open and he stands right in front of the judge and he looks directly at you, my friends, the guilty ones. And he says, not guilty, not guilty. And he looks at the evil one, Satan, and he says, I will pay the price. I will pay the price. May all of their accusations which are true be placed upon me and I will take their sins to the cross. And then he looks back at me and he says, you're not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And I'm asking you this morning, friends, if you have never encountered Jesus Christ before and you want hope, and you want to start moving in the right direction, today's a great day to say yes to Jesus.
to say yes to Jesus. And so out of love and out of this desire to pray for you, I'm asking that if any one of you in this room this morning would love to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would just simply raise your hand and say, yes, I want him. I want to walk with him. I want to learn about him. I want to do life with him. And so if that is you and you are here this morning and you want to embrace that, would you raise your hand? Thank you. That's courageous. That's courageous. In a spirit of prayer together as a family, Lord, we pray together. Dear Father, we come before you. Each one of us in this room are sinners. We are hypocrites. We fall short. But you loved us so much that you gave us your son. It's nothing that we have earned. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. All we can simply do is receive it as a gift that we would love it, that we would embrace it, that we would live it. And when we fall, because we do fall, <laughs> may we be reminded of the words, it is finished, not guilty. And Lord, I ask right now your anointing blessing on my dear sister who raised her hand. And that we together this morning would recommit ourselves to you by simply repeating after me these words. I believe that you are the Christ. And I take you still to be my Savior. Oh my gosh. Praise the Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for what is happening here, what is happening with this church family. We ask your blessing on Pastor Daniel. We ask your blessing on the staff. We ask your blessing on the servants here. And may we leave this place with a desire only to bring glory to you and you alone. You are worthy of our praises. You are magnificent. You are mighty. And you are on the move. And we are going to jump in and we're going to join you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate those that made decisions this morning?